Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the former 2300 Arena, now the National Podcast Network Studios, the home for the debut edition of Third Life Pod Monday Nitro. We are coming to you live here on MPN. Hello, everybody. I'm Taylor Gibson, along with my co-host, the Honey Badger of Tim Jensen. Tim, we have an exciting evening sports podcast ahead of us tonight, and we are extremely honored to be here for the grand opening of this beautiful podcast in which the National Podcast Network shows us to be. No question. This is one of the biggest nights in the history of Third Life Plug. More than that, I know how excited you are coming on, given that prior to the becoming the podcast studio, this was the home of Extreme Championship Wrestling 20 years ago. I almost expected these mics to be wrapped with barbed wire, our announcement table to be covered in lighter fluid and thumbtacks, and the crowd cheering, E-C-Dub, E-C-Dub, with the name of ECW past like Sandman. New Jack, Dreamer, and Rob Van Dam coming in for the ring. Absolutely, Tim. The once most famous bingo hall is now transformed into the house of podcasting. I do have to say, though, that this studio, like the wrestler himself, may be just incredible. However, the electricity in the air for tonight's main event just makes me want to say, Oh my God! That lets it into the action. That's a How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Monday Nitro edition of the Third Line Plug Sandscast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me as always, actually, sorry, not joining me from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, but instead joining us from our nation's capital of Ottawa, Ontario, my co-host, Tim Jensie. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's been good. Just got in tonight and uh, think I'm ready for some Nitro action here. Absolutely, man, because you know what? If there's one way that we could put some butts in the seats, it's by playing a little bit of Nitro. So, Tim, let's not waste any time, buddy. Let's get right into this episode, because today's episode is Season 3, Episode 10, in chronological order, Episode 64, the J.C. Boudin episode. So, as usual, a little backstory about J.C. Boudin. He was drafted 71st overall by the Colorado Avalanche. He was later traded to the Ottawa Senators for Max McCormick. And he has recorded one assist in 15 games for the Ottawa Senators. Now, I got to ask him, how do you feel about this week's cover athlete, given that the team just sent him down to Belleville? He kind of came out of nowhere, but at the same time, he seems like the sort of guy who slots well into that last, that 13th forward role. Plays well enough for his age, and he can, seems to be able to slot in and out of the lineup well. So... In those sorts of minutes, J.C. Boudin is giving you about all you can really expect. And I don't think he was on anyone's radar from the McCormick trade on. No, because honestly, the only thing that we knew of him is that we were getting him back from Max McCormick. That's all we knew. Uh-huh. Has Max McCormick even played in the... I, don't, I doubt he's playing for the Avalanche. I couldn't even tell you where he is right now. But all I know is that he's no longer playing for the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, interesting that the Sens had so much faith in the guy, and then just kind of bailed. That is true, but I mean, I guess that they have players like Brady Tuchuk and to a lesser extent Scott Sabrin now in the lineup that they really didn't need Max McCormick. Yeah, Max McCormick is currently on the Charlotte Checkers, so he's not even in the Colorado system anymore. Oh, he's with the Carolina Hurricanes then. So, Tim, let's talk about next week's poll, because next week's episode is actually our Christmas episode. Season 3, episode 11, in chronological order, episode 65. Now, you know what that means, Tim. The one and only... Christmas. The one and only Eric Carlson is our cover athlete for our Third Line Plug 2019 Christmas extravaganza. I wouldn't have it any other way. It's so good. It's so good. So... Let's talk a little bit about our week because, actually, you know what? Let's not talk about it. I'm going to quickly ask you about so far your trip in Ottawa because I know you just said that you arrived there last night, and I understand that you guys probably went out for dinner. So you just oh, what's that? I just got in tonight. Okay, so overall, now did you now you got a chance to go out with dinner with your buddies, correct? Yeah. yeah. Now, where in Ottawa did you go? Now, did you go to? Big Rigs, El Camino's, Burgers and Fries Forever. Come on, give us the scoop, Tim. No, we just, we didn't have a ton of time, so we just, we were going to go to the 
do if we have can bar, we usually go to the Blurry Pixel and just get food there, because the food's actually pretty decent. Okay. Yeah, so I just had a Sonic the Hedgehog chili dog, and uh, we hung out, played a bit of video. That's about it. Yeah, I just haven't been in town very long, because uh, my flight got delayed pretty hard, because we need to get de-iced in Calgary, and that took a while. So uh, I was supposed to get in around 3.34, didn't get in until 5. Oh, well. Well, you know what? At least you got in, Tim. That's all that matters. I think the only time I've ever missed a flight was uh, because Air Canada sent too small of a plane, and I think I spoke about that two seasons ago now. Holy shit. Man, has it already been that long? Yeah, because that happened to me in 2017. Okay, because I do remember you telling me the story now that you were going to Ottawa for a work trip in Air Canada did send too small of a plane. Yeah, I got stuck in Ottawa. <laughs> oh, God, that's like when I flew to Ottawa and back in 2017, Tim. At least you got stuck due to shitty weather. I got stuck because the idiot sent too small a plane. That's true. I actually got stuck in Ottawa and Calgary while flying home. Yeah, I don't know how the fuck that happened to you, bro. Well, it's because our flight from Ottawa to Calgary arrived too late, so my flight from Calgary to Nanaimo had already left by the time that I landed. Yeah, and was it, like, the last flight? Because they do a ton of Calgary and Nanaimo's. Yeah, it was the last flight of the night. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, you were telling me that. Yeah. So, I'm just going to quickly talk about my week, Tim, because I've been... I've had a really rough week, health-wise, because I've been suffering from a cold that has now gone into my chest. So, just a little disclaimer for the listeners. Like, if I sound a little bit lethargic, or my voice sounds a little bit shot, or you hear what sounds like a water ball in the background, it's because I'm still sort of suffering from a cold that I still haven't fully gotten over. And it's been almost a week now. If it's the cold that, the cold slash flu that was going around earlier this season, it's, you're going to have it for another week. Yeah, which is weird because, like, like, I'm fully over, like, the actual cold itself. Like, I still have a really bad cough, but it just wiped me out completely energy-wise that I was just like, fuck, like, this week... Fuck this week, man. Like, it was a rough week. Even on Friday. Like, Friday I went home after, like, an hour of being there. I was coughing so bad, and I was really sick. And my boss is like, you know what? Yeah, just just get out of here, man. Like, you're not really not in no shape. Which is fine, yeah. because I spent Friday sleeping one off. Saturday we did the kids' snowball party for the students. And honestly, it went all right. Yeah. I'm amazed how badly that cold knocked both Chelsea and I out. I, I flew with that sucker. Oh, see, yeah, I, I could never imagine, I could never imagine flying, flying sick. The problem is, is if you're congested, it's not so much going up, it's going down. You get the worst headache you will ever have. It feels like your eye's going to explode. Not good, man. Not good. Not good. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, hope, like the second week is nowhere near as bad as the first week. And I found that you only get the sore throat once. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny is that even with this cold, like, and I've been trying everything to make myself healthy. Like, I've been drinking green tea, lots of water, lots of cold effects, and I've even gone to Buckley's. And I'm going to say something right now. Like, you know, you see the Buckley ads, you know, it tastes awful, but it works. 100% is the absolute truth, Tim. That stuff may taste like shit, but fuck, does it ever work for you? You know, I've never been one for cold medicine. I just deal with it. And if I'm, I know you don't, you probably don't have the option to be useless at work. I guess I've always been lucky to kind of have an option to be useless mm -hmm. at work. So I could just be like, you know what? I feel shitty. Today is the day that I could be useless. So let's go on and talk about last week's episode because overall it was actually not a bad episode. And I think it was when I was editing last week's episode on Monday night is when I really started to feel my sickness come down on me. Yeah, oh, that sucks, dude. I know, because I was like three quarters of the way through, and I was just like, God, I'm sitting here like, God, like, I feel like, feel like garbage. Like, what the hell is wrong with me? And then I finished editing, you know, I uploaded it and everything. I went upstairs to watch a Seahawks game. I got one half through the game, and I'm just like, you know what? I can't do this. I'm, I'm going to bed. Like, I'm so fucking sick. Yeah. Well, at least it was like, well, you had the good sense to go to bed. Sometimes I just try to suffer through it, so at least you're smart enough to be like, yeah, fuck it. This ain't working. No, it definitely wasn't working. But I'll tell you what is working, Tim. Mm -hmm. 
this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. Nice. Yeah, hopefully I had enough time to, you know, to time it so that the, you know, the bells could actually play and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, Tim. Yeah. We got a fully loaded top of the hour, and unfortunately for top of the hour, even though we're not starting off with a death, we are starting off by talking about Toronto Maple Leaf. And actually, we've got to give a couple of shout-outs. First off, to former Toronto Maple Leafs forward Matt Stajan has announced his retirement from professional hockey at the age of 35. Stajan, drafted 57th overall in 2002 by the Toronto Maple Leafs, played 14 seasons with the Leafs and Calgary Flames, recording 146 goals, 267 assists for 413 points, in 1,003 games. Now, look, I understand that Matt Stajan's career with the Leafs maybe wasn't up to par of, say, Matt Sundin or Daryl Sittler, or some of the really good centers that they've had in the Leafs organization. But you know what? The fact that he went on to play 1,000 games in the NHL is nothing to sniff at at all. It's actually kind of surprising that a guy can get less than half a point a game and still make 1,000 games in the modern NHL, hey? He must have been doing something that someone appreciated. Mm, well, the fact is, like, he played a long time for the Calgary Flames, and Calgary has always been known for having these hard-working, two-way sort of players. I mean, you could look at, even at the late 80s, early 90s Calgary Flames, like, you had the Joe Newendikes and the Theo Fleuries of the world that, you know, yeah, they were hard workers, but they could also put out 50 goals a season. Now, while Matt Stajan wasn't that guy production-wise, he was definitely a hard-working, two-way player that Calgary fans seem to always love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it kind of goes to show you that even after his NHL career is done, he was willing to go play somewhere else for a year in Germany. Absolutely. Now, the next shout-out we got to give to is actually a former Ottawa Senator, but also a former Vancouver Canuck. Vancouver Canucks have inducted Alex Burroughs into their ring of honor. Burroughs spent 11 and a half seasons with the Vancouver Canucks from the 2005-2006 season until the 16-17 season when he was traded to the Ottawa Senators, where he would spend the last two seasons recording 205 goals, 204 assists for 409 points in 913 games. Now, you know what's funny? When I first saw this notification on Facebook that they were going to be inducting him into the ring of honor and... I looked at all the comments, and it was all Canucks fans going, Oh my god, Alex Burroughs, he was my favorite. This guy was amazing. And, of course, I just commented. I said, you know, Canucks fans, with that statement, Ottawa fans underneath it, dot, 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 he played for us once. It's funny because, like, the Alex Burroughs that the Senators got versus the Alex Burroughs that the Canucks got were two very different players, although... Admittedly, Alex Burroughs always seemed to be around the net when important playoff goals get went in, so you have to give him some credit there. Mm, because two of the biggest playoff goals he scored was the series winner against the St. Louis Blues in 2009 when they swept in four games. And, of course, many Canuck fans can remember when he slayed the Dragon in 2011 against the Blackhawks. Yeah, because that series almost went sideways on. I know, because I remember watching Game 7 thinking holy shit, Vancouver might actually pull this off. Like, they might actually beat them. And then Jonathan Taves scored to tie it up, and I was like, oh, this is not going to end well for Vancouver. And then Alex Burroughs scored the winner. Yeah. Man, that 2011 run was cool. Like, even as a, like, as a diehard Sens fan, it was cool seeing a city near you just go get really into the playoffs and get so close. See, I'm, here's the thing, like, I'm... I'm such I'm the I'm the minority in all of this because honestly, I was like, yeah, this is cool that the Canucks are going far, but I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking, I'm trying to be realistic about it. I'm thinking, you know what? They're not going to win it. Like they're just they're not tough enough. They never come through in the playoffs because you look at the previous two years when they got bounced out by the Blackhawks, and then they go play the Bruins in the finals, and you're thinking, oh, Boston's going to run them over. Like this is not even going to be oh. close. And I was, was right. I predicted Boston to win it in seven games, and they ended up winning the cup. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Like, I remember when I was watching it, as much as I disliked Boston, I think I disliked, disliked a lot of the Canucks fans I was around more. So I was actively rooting for Boston. And it was funny watching, as you said, like, the, the games the Bruins won, they ran the Canucks the fuck over. Mm, because if you go back and look at the scores of those games, you know, the Canucks only won by, like, what, one goal? Maybe if that. And then you had the Canucks, or the, not the Canucks, then you had the Bruins, 
you know, they lost games one and two in Vancouver, and then game three, they run them over eight to one. And then game four is another eight goal game. Like that was, that was it in a nutshell. But, uh, Burroughs himself, it's an, such an interesting player coming from undrafted ECHL purgatory and then manages to get his way up to the NHL. Uh, the points don't really come at first, but then all of a sudden they do. Yeah, and he was one of those guys. And that's the one thing about the Vancouver Canucks is that they always seem to have these kinds of players that are the harder working guys, the guys that really make their way into the NHL. You know, you think of the Harold Snaps, you think of the Matt Cooks, you think of Alex Burroughs, obviously, and even Kevin Bieska. A lot of people don't realize that Bieska was not a polished product when the Canucks got him in the 2001 draft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And it's actually kind of funny that, like, he's probably the most beloved Canucks player, even though you have all of these, like, feel-good, work-hard stories that come stars. I think one of the most beloved Canucks is still, and probably will forever be, uh, Trevor Linden, a number two overall guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and actually, it was funny that you mentioned Alex Burroughs because, and I, I know you're not a fan of spitting chiclets, but one of the episodes they did during the summer was with a former Montreal Canadian named Terry Ryan, and he told a story about when he was playing in a ball hockey tournament and Alex Burroughs was one of his teammates. Now, I'm not going to spoil that story. I'm going to let everybody, if they're interested, check that out. This one, uh, Paul Bizonette was doing his tour of Newfoundland with Terry Ryan. Go check that out because, honestly, that story... You know, we say a lot of really out there things in the program, but I'm not going to tell that story because even that's a little too much for the third lifelong sense cast. You mean it's more out there than yes. my bullet story? Y- yes, it's a little bit more out there than silicone nut sacks, yes. Huh. Actually, it was really funny. Uh, one thing that did come up uh, in my week, uh, other than Ottawa, is Chelsea did her. She was running the holiday party for the University of Calgary uh, graduate psychology program. Oh, yeah? And we were talking with one of her friends who's from the town over from Allen, Saskatchewan, which is, as you may know, home of Jared Cowan. And uh, her high school gym teacher was Jared Cowan's dad. And apparently the joke about Allen, Saskatchewan is everyone's inbred, as I was told. Okay. Now... Correct me if I'm wrong, you, we are talking about the Jericho that played for the Ottawa Senators, correct? Not the one that played for the Canucks? The one that plays for the Senators, yeah. Okay. And she was like, because her fiancé is also a big Senators fan, so she makes fun of them for having Jared Cowan playing on the, ever playing on the Senators. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Actually, specifically egged on his man bun, which no. he apparently had in high school. Oh, Jesus Christ. Actually, speaking of spitting chiclets, Tim, now I know that the last week or so, you know, everybody's been piling on Mike Babcock and Bill Peters and all these head coaches. And, you know, we talked about that stuff last week. Well, it turns out another NHL defenseman has come out and stated what a piece of shit Mike Babcock was. Former NHL defenseman Chris Chelio stated on a recent episode of Spit and Chicklets that former Red Wings head coach Mike Babcock verbally assaulted Johan Franzen on the bench, which contributed to Franzen suffering from a nervous breakdown. Franzen had been dealing with concussion and depression issues at the time, which he was not open about. He went on to say that former Wings GM Ken Holland was informed of the situation, to which he supported Babcock, and Franzen later confirmed Chelios' account of the incident, stating that Babcock was an extremely careful and prepared coach, but a terrible person. You know, this is really a shame, because honestly, Babcock is a really good head coach, but he is such a piece of shit. And for so many years, and I, we said it last week, is that, you know, we talked about the Mike Commodore and, you know, he had an axe to grind with Babcock. And for years, people used to vilify him thinking, oh, well, he's just a former player and he's just pissed off at Babcock and yeah, blah, 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 blah. Well, now these stories are coming out about Babcock and they're all looking at Commodore thinking, oh my God, like he was telling the truth the whole time. Like this guy's a real piece of shit. Like, Patty O'Sullivan's another guy who what, had nothing good to say about Babcock, and... No, uh, he was Mark Crawford, he said that about. Yeah, Patty O'Sullivan was Mark Crawford. And, you know, it's it's interesting, because I think Babcock, once Veneer really came off him in Toronto, he was very vulnerable, and I think uh, one of the big things about Babcock is he might just be a stubborn asshole. 
like when the NHL moved past what his tactics were good for and he didn't change, no one was willing to protect the abuse because the results weren't there. Because Dubas wanted to get rid of him in the summer. Yeah, and that was the thing because I know that... But then, if, then again, there was a lot of people, even in the organization, that didn't even want Dubas being the GM. They wanted Mark Hunter as the GM. And if Mark Hunter had become the GM, I still believe that he would have never fired Babcock. He would have kept him on and not brought up Sheldon Keefe. Honestly, that's scary. I know, but think of it this way. Like, say if Mark Hunter had become the GM of the Leafs and they kept Babcock, what would have happened if Sheldon Keefe, would he had maybe gone to Ottawa and become our head coach? Would he had gone elsewhere and become a head coach? Like, because Sheldon Keefe has really shown that he's a very, very good head coach, and he's obviously turning the Leafs around because they've, you know, they've won a number of games since he's joined the team. Well, let's hold on. They still can't keep up with the other Atlantic teams. Let's not say that the Leafs turned the corner just yet. I'm not. I'm that not saying that, but I'm saying at the well, moment, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that might just be the new coach bump, right? That most teams seem to get. That's true. But, uh, I mean, even going back to when uh, Noodles was on the show, he said the exact same thing. So I, the other thing, though, about Sheldon Keith, though, is like, as long as he's not an abusive guy, it, it may not work out for the Leafs this year. It might work out for the next. But you're exactly right. If they lost a talented coach because they keep blood off, that's a scary thing. And the other thing is, you have to look. You kind of have to look at Shanahan now. Because Shanahan used to play for Babcock and then brought him in. That's that's weird. Let's move on to our next story. Now, we speaking of Mike Babcock, Tim, we have another head coach being fired. The New Jersey Devils have fired head coach John Haynes after four full seasons. Haynes, record, who joined the Devils as their head coach for the 15-16 season, recorded a 150, 159, and 45 regular season with a 1-4 playoff record. Hélène Nassadrin will serve as interim head coach of the Devils. Now, before we go any further, Tim, on behalf of Devils fans, John, we just want to thank you for all your time and all your effort, everything you've done for the Devils. But, John, you're fired. Oh, you didn't even warm up the voice for that one. No. Now, the reason, well, obviously the reason why is because I'm still sick, right? I don't want to ruin my voice because my voice was sounded pretty dry even before we hit record. Yeah, but I think the other thing <coughs> firing is overdue. Oh, yeah, it was. And you know what's a funny thing? Like I was saying to you even a few months ago is that the Devils have been one of these teams that grossly, grossly underperformed because this was a team that even before the season I was kind of pumping. You know, you, you looked at their roster and Ray Shiro made all these moves to bring in P.K. Subban and he was bringing these players in to really shore up the team. And the, the big thing for them was goaltending. Like, they didn't really have a number one. They're just That was probably the only thing that they had going against them. But it seems like everything has gone against the Devils so far this season. And ultimately, I think it's going, it's going to lose Taylor Hall in the end. Yeah, and it's one of those interesting things where I wonder where the one time he wasn't aggressive on something is what's going to bite him in the ass. Because uh, I think Shiro's been very good at making aggressive moves to get pieces he needs. It's just Corey Schneider just falling off a cliff has killed the Devils. Yeah, I mean, and really, that's the only thing that even looking at the Devils, like, when you really look at the Devils roster, like, this should be a team that should be... I'm not saying dominating their division, but they should be at least somewhere near a playoff spot right now. Yeah, but it's interesting because the goaltending is definitely a big fault, but the Devils also can't score. The players just seem lost on the ice, and that's on the coach. And uh, this is a firing that came way too long, and I have a feeling at the end of the season, Ray Shiro's head comes with it. Yeah, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised, man, given that you know they made the playoffs... Oh, not last year, but is it, is it the year before they made the playoffs? Yeah, so they made the playoffs, what, one time, and they got knocked off in five games. But I don't know. I mean, this is going to be a weird one, and I definitely see that the Devils realistically really do look at Ray Shiro now because it's like, okay, you've made all these moves. You've, you know, you drafted Jack Hughes. You brought in Nico Hersher. You've, you know, Taylor Hall's here now. Like, why are you not winning yet? Yeah, like, you got P.K. Suk, man, Gusev is playing well. Like, all these guys that he's brought in to kind of shore up the build. <coughs> on paper, looks like a good team, but 
for whatever reason, it's just not going. So, Tim, we've got a couple of suspensions to talk about, and we're going to start off with San Jose Sharks forward. Evander Kane has been fined the maximum allowable fine under the CBA for elbowing Washington Capitals forward Rado Gouda. Kane is a repeat offender. You know, and I know that in our very first episode this season, Tim, I played the devil's advocate with Evander Kane when he, you know, when he took a swipe at the referee saying that the referee shouldn't have gotten involved. I'm not even going to play the devil's advocate. Like, this is a, this is a definitely a suspension, for sure. Like, and this should have been a suspension because the guy is a repeat offender, and he threw an elbow that was very deliberate. Yeah, I'm really surprised that there was no, yeah, I'm surprised there's no games attached to this. Because, yeah, what what does Evander Kane care about a couple hundred thousand dollar fine? And this has been a problem. I don't want to just throw this at George Peros's feet, but this has been a massive problem with the Department of Player Safety for its entire existence of just completely inconsistent and inconsequential penalties for stuff. If you want to get stuff out of the game, you have to throw the hammer down consistently. And this isn't it. Nashville Predators forward Ryan Johansson has also been fined the maximal allowable under the CBA for for elbowing Tampa Bay Lightning forward Braden Point. Now, I obviously didn't, I didn't really see the hit, so I, I can't really comment on it. But you know what, the fact that Johansson's not a repeat offender, you know what, I'm fine with giving him the maximum allowable fine under the CBA for this one. Honestly, yeah, I didn't get a chance to see it. Although there is one that we both did see, and I think we had a slightly different reaction to it going going on the last line here. That is true. Now, we're going to close off top of the hour with three Ottawa Senator stories. Now, I guess for this one, we should be calling it the good, the bad, and the Brady. <laughs> and we're going to start off Let's with start. Ottawa Senators forward Brady Kachuk has been fined $2,486 and also $0.56. Cents. The maximum amount allowed under the CBA for his cross-check infraction on Philadelphia Flyers' Scott Layton. Tuchuk is not a repeat offender. Now, if you don't mind me doing something a little different here, Tim. Now, normally this one we would talk about the hit. But I feel that this is a topic that we should actually be talking about when we get to the third and final game of the evening. Because this is really a big talking point that we could probably do during the game. So if you're willing to do that... We should we could maybe go on to the next story. Yeah, I think it's this is definitely the one to park and talk about in the Philly game. For sure. Ottawa Senators defenseman Mark Borieski broke up a robbery attempt in Vancouver while the Senators were in town to play the Canucks. Borieski noticed that a car was being broken into and he decided to tackle the robber off his getaway bicycle as he took the victim's backpack. And now that was really funny to listen Borieski tell it to the media. Because he's emphasizing the fact that he has no idea what's really going on and he's holding baby shit. You know what? I just love the fact that the team, you know, pounced on the opportunity and made some Boro Cop t-shirts. Oh, they made the shirts because I saw the... Or was it the team or was it some or the third party? So I thought I'm not it was, sure if it was the third party. I thought it was I the team. I saw the clip that Craig made. Yeah, because uh, there were some t-shirts in the team store from, I can't remember who it was. Somebody on Twitter tweeted that out. So it must have been the team. I think there was like a very limited amount of the shirts available. But God, you know what? Craig Medaglia's video, though. Oh, God, that was amazing. Oh, that was so good. Yeah, and I just remember someone's like, oh, on Twitter, it's like, Craig, did Boro blow up that old couple? Yes. Shit, Craig. <laughs> Ah, that's so good. You know, we, we really should get Craig on the show sometime. That'd be amazing. Oh my god. Just, I wouldn't mind just letting the dude riff because there's gotta, there's gotta be interesting shit just going on in his brain at any given moment for the crap that he's able to throw onto social media. That's true. I mean, especially this year. Like, this guy's been on fire this year with, you know, from All Roads Lead Home and now the Boral Cop video. Well, he's been given so much stuff to work with, like the Shabbat extension, Borough Cop, All Roads Lead Home. He's been given a lot more to work with than he was last year, let's just say that. And uh, he's fucking killing it. 
So, Tim, let's go close off top of the hour by talking about the ex-wife of Ottawa Senator Defenseman Nikita Zaitsev released a video to Instagram of Zaitsev's father and two associates removing Zaitsev's children from the mother. A report from Russia alleges that Zaitsev abducted his children because he didn't want to pay child support and fled back to Canada. The Ottawa Senators and Zaitsev agent have both released statements regarding the news, while Zaitsev's wife released another statement dismissing the agent's comments. Wow, this is a sticky situation, Tim. And I mean, really, this is one of these things that, and I remember a few weeks ago we were talking about that Nikita Zaitsev took a leave of absence, and it was never really clear why. And obviously there's a lot of conflicting reports coming out of Russia and, of course, out of the Zaitsev camp and everything that's going on. So really, like, this is a this is really a topic that honestly could be about 15, 20 minutes long if we really, really delved into it. Well, the other thing is, is we don't really have the information to deal with it. And there's just the Russian court systems and the extent of law enforcement are notoriously weak. We may never know what the real situation is. Because at this point, all we have is the allegations from Zaitsev's wife that he took the, the children from the country versus what the Zaitsev campus said that they are at Zaitsev's parents' house in Russia. There's just so many moving parts, and the Russian legal system is so weak, we may never know what's actually happened. Yeah, and this is the thing, and obviously this season, like, the Ottawa Senators over the last couple of years, as we all know, like, their their public relations department has taken such a beating for everything this team has gone through, from Ubergate, the Carlson incident, Melnick, everything like this, and it seems like with all the good news that we've had, like, obviously with Boro Cop and a lot of the good things that the team is doing so far on the ice, even though like we're a couple of games below 500, it just seems so weird that, okay, we've had all this good news and now this sort of piece of news comes out to sort of balance it all out. Yeah. It's funny because I, I remember talking about it last week where it's like, holy crap, the Suns have a bunch of good news, things we can talk about. And it feels a lot easier like this season feels a lot easier to cheer for the Suns than last year because last year was truly a no hope season because not only did we not have the first round pick, it's just everything that seemed to go wrong on and off the ice went as wrong as it could. Well, this year it's all this fun stuff is happening, good stuff's happening, and we have the pick, so it's there's hope to be sold. And then just this fucking left field sort of thing, like the sites of stuff comes out of left field, and honestly, I, I just hope those kids are safe. Yeah, honestly, I really hope that the kids are safe and that Zaitsev and his ex-wife can, you know, can put all their differences aside to put their children first and all of this can be, have a happy ending in the end. That's a bold hope. I know, but, you know, I'm trying. I know. <laughs> well, Tim, I guess that wraps up top of the hour for this week, which means only one thing. It's time to head on to the games. Now, we got three games to talk about this week. We've got... The Sens versus the Canucks, Sens versus the Oilers, and the Sens versus the Flyers. But before we do that, let's hit... What, what the hell is that? Oh. oh my god, ladies and gentlemen, I do not believe what I am seeing here. On the Monday Nitro edition of the Fairline Book Senscast, the New World Order, they are here in the 2300 Arena. They are coming down the ramp. I d boy, I cannot believe this. Now we're going to take a really quick commercial break. And we will be back, and hopefully these thugs will be out of here. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Jamie McLennan from TSN, and you're listening to the Third Line Plug Sendscast. Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Sens versus the Canucks. This is a 5-2 Canucks victory. Sens goals were scored by Jean-Gabriel Peugeot and Tyler Ennis. Canucks goals were scored by Antoine Roussel, Tanner Pearson, Elias Pedersen, Zach McEwen, and Oscar Fantenberg. Shots were 42-29 for Ottawa. Vancouver outplayed Ottawa for the majority of this game. Despite having a 13-shot lead, Ottawa were disjointed and turned the puck over a number of times in the first period, which put them down by four goals. However, they did recover to a point until they resorted back to playing disjointed, which would give Vancouver... The W. Now, as we mentioned on top of the hour, this was the Alex Burrows Ring of Honor night. Now, we do have a couple of positives to talk about this game. 
the big one for me, Brady Chuck, one assist on eight shots. From what I was seeing in this game, now, mind you, I only got a chance to watch the second and third periods, and I condensed to watch the first period. I actually liked uh, Brady Chuck's game in this. I thought his hustle was pretty good. Uh, I thought he made a couple of really good plays. And that one play, I think it was in the second period, I thought he buried it. I thought it absolutely went in. And, of course, it That's- missed. Yeah, and then there was that way too quick of a whistle on Duclair, I believe it was. Oh, that uh, was in the the first period because the puck was right next to him and the referee lost the sight. Yeah, that was a game where Ottawa really didn't come out strong and two goals that should have been goals but cancelled and then Fantenberg scoring really broke the back. There was only really one defenseman I thought played well the whole game and that was Thomas Chabot. And you know what's funny? I actually thought he played pretty decent as well because, like I said, Thomas Chabot, one assist on two shots. Now, in fairness, I didn't watch the first period live, so I really have no comment to make. But from what I was seeing, from what I did see, it looked like he looked pretty confident with the puck. He looked like he had a lot of patience with it despite being down by several goals. And I know a a week or two ago, you and I had that discussion about who should be the captain between Brady and Thomas. And honestly... Well, seeing him in this game, I can kind of see where you were going with with your argument for Thomas Shabbat when I see how he played and how he handled himself in that situation when they were down by two to three goals. Yeah, and the other thing I found with this game, particularly for Shabbat, was he managed to be a plus player on a team that had five goals scored against it, which is pretty darn impressive. Otherwise, a lot of the young sons just... Kind of had a weird night. Logan Brown, not his best game. Brandstrom was victimized on a particularly bad play. And I think this is the game where his send down was pretty much confirmed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, obviously that you and I have talked about whether Brandstrom should be up or not. And the fact that, you know, this game was evident that, okay, he's clearly not ready to be at this level. And if they could put him down in Belleville and maybe move up a you play on Max Lejoie or Christian Wolanin in his role, it would probably be a lot more beneficiary for both the Senators and Eric Brandstrom. One guy I want to talk about real quickly, and I really liked his hustle on the offensive side of the puck, was Tyler Ennis. Now, he, of course, he did tip in the Thomas Chabot point shot. And this is a guy that, over the last couple of weeks, I've been actually quite impressed with Tyler Ennis. Even though he doesn't always score, he's always in the right position. He's always moving around. He just seems like the kind of guy that... And I, like you said, if he was, you know, 24, 25 years old, I would have been like, let's lock him up long term. But this guy's a pump and dump player, unfortunately, with the Senators. Yeah, I think Tyler Ernest kind of realizes that this is his last shot. And he's making the most of it because he's always hustling. He's always in the right place. And he's really showing that he can be a veteran leader on the team or on any team. And the fact that he's able to be to actually produce fairly consistently this year is fantastic. And I think Tyler Ennis is going to find himself a home real quick at the deadline. I think so, but I think there's also a number of veteran guys on the Ottawa Senators that probably could find themselves with new homes come March 1st. Yeah, and of course the other goal was scored by what seems like the only senator who's allowed to consistently score, Pajot. I know. Pretty decent goal too. It was a pretty decent goal. goal. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie to you. So, Tim, I don't really. Do you want to talk about goal review? Yes, actually, yeah, that's a good point. I'm sorry I don't have that in my notes, but yes, let's quickly talk about the goal review because it was the Domestikov goal. Now, Domestikov came over the blue line, and it looked like he scored. And I was like, oh, right on, he scored. He was barely, barely offside. Like, come on, like you look at that, and, and Ottawa Twitter. Just went nuts about this. This is another call that, you know, since Twitter has always been a very, you know, blissful and peaceful place at the best of times. And, of course, this was another play where you're just like, are you fucking kidding me? That's well, considered offside. This play is Vancouver was given so much time to look at this that if, you, if it takes you more than this, the, the get-the-fuck-going honk, you should automatically lose the challenge. That doesn't do anything for the game. At that point, you were splitting fucking hairs, wasting everyone's time, and frankly, it should be a delay of game penalty. It's that fucking obnoxious. That's the thing that pissed me off the most, is 
This is such a margin of error call. So fucking chintzy. And it took them so goddamn long to even consider it. Should show you how much this actually improves the game. And there's no way you can tell me that that play was more different than the call that went against Ottawa the next night. Like, goal review and offside review in particular fucking sucks. And it ruined the game. So, Tim, do you want to head on to the second game of the evening between the Sens and the Oilers? Yeah, yeah. Sens versus Oilers. This is a 5-2 Ottawa Senators victory. Sens was scored by Artem Anisiyev, Connor Brown, Tyler Ennis, Anthony DeClaire, and Vladislav Domestikov. Oilers was scored by Jujar Kare and Oscar Klefbaum. Shots were 26-25 for the Oilers. Jujar Kare opens the scoring for Edmonton to make it 1-0 after putting the cross-crease pass upstairs. Artem Anisiyev short side taps in the pass to tie the game at 1 Connor Brown scores a softy to make it 2-1 Senators. Connor Brown gets his second point of the night as he finds Tyler Ennis on a 2-on-1 to make it 3-1 Senators. Oscar Kleplom scores from the point on the power play to make it 3-2. Anthony DeClaire sneaks one in from behind the net to make it 4-2. And Vladislav Domestikov scores to make it 5-2 Ottawa, which would be the final. So I had a condensed dense watch this game, and like I said earlier in this episode, I was been fighting a cold all week. And it really sucked a lot of the energy out of me. So I really didn't get a chance to watch any of this game and the next game we're going to be talking about. One player I do want to talk about, Craig Anderson, 24 saves at .923 save percentage. From what I saw in the condensed game, I thought he did his job and kept on with it. And that's why he ended up getting the W. Pretty much. <coughs> in the first 10 minutes of the game, there was a strong sense of, oh no, here we go again. Because the Senators came out completely flat. And when Karius finally scored that goal, and Ottawa, I think the Sen- I think the Senators had no shots, and Edmonton had almost 10. And everyone's like, okay, this is going to be a repeat of Monday. This is going to be a repeat of Monday night. Sorry, of Tuesday night. This is going to go really badly. And then all of a sudden, the Senators hopped to life. And uh, it was really led by Duclair and the veterans. And I definitely gave Anisimov a, kind of a hard time last week. But at this point, I really see what the Senators saw in him because he's a lot more poised and he's fairly hard-nosed. And unlike Zach Smith, I think he has the skill set to put that to use still at his age. So, Tim, you're, you were quickly talking about Anthony Duclair. Let's talk a little bit about him for a second. One goal on four shots... The goal he scored in this game versus Edmonton was very similar to the one that he would score in Philadelphia against the Flyers. Yeah, and just having the intelligence to, instead of going head-on to the net to wrap it around on a goalie that's not having a great time, that's pure hockey IQ. And that's something I've been very impressed with Anthony DeClaire throughout this whole season is just the display of maturity, the hard-working, and the smarts on top of the raw skill we knew Anthony DeClaire had, he's put it all together. And the fact that he's taking more shots, he's taking good shots, and is being rewarded, I think DeClaire's been found money for the Senators. I think at this point, we can confidently say that Anthony DeClaire has been better than Dezingle ever was. I think so. I think the only thing maybe Dezingle has over him is that... You know, when push comes to shove, Dezingle can really throw them. And yet we haven't seen Duclair fight yet. But obviously that's not uh, his skill set. His skill set is not to fight. His skill set is to put the puck in the net, which he's obviously doing in these excuse games. Excuse me, Tay. We will talk about Anthony Duclair throwing hands next game. That is true. That is true. Sorry. My bad, Tim. I know you're getting... See, this is what happens, Tim. Okay, you get a little fired up about, you know, goal reviews and offside reviews. And now you're getting fired up on the show, buddy. Hey, it's what the visitors want. The Nature Boy is here on Monday Night Nitro. Solid. Now, quickly before we go into the next game, let's quickly talk about Connor Brown. One goal, one assist on three shots. One thing I really like about Connor Brown, and this is something that I've complimented him over the season, has been his overall compete level. Now, I understand that analytics don't really measure that in numbers terms, but... 
when you watch the condensed game and you watch how he played, I really liked his hustle to get those two points in this game. Well, I think the thing about Connor Brown, and this is actually kind of interesting, is uh, he was, even when he wasn't scoring, he was still doing well in the advanced statistics. So you knew he was doing the right things. He was still generate. he was still expected to score. He just couldn't do it for whatever reason. So I'm not surprised now that the monkey's off his back that we're starting to see good production from good, hardworking play. Another interesting note is after the the Nick Paul injury, Logan Brown and Bodane both had their minutes heavily curtailed. And DJ Smith essentially rolled three lines. Do you think this presages Logan Brown perhaps not being as sticky in the NHL as we thought he would be? That's a good point. I mean, obviously that... <coughs> excuse me. When they paired him with the Chuck and Duclair, he seemed to be... He didn't obviously put up the points, but he definitely looked comfortable on that top line with those two. But with DJ Smith now shuffling the lines around, and maybe he's sort of lost some faith in that. Maybe he's thinking, okay, you know, because going back to the Canucks game, the one of the goals in that game, Logan Brown pulled a Cody Cece and he passed it right to the other team, and they ended up scoring. Yeah, and that's got to be rough for Logan Brown, who... Yeah, it looked like he, he he was just ready for the NHL, and uh, it's not like his fancy stats have been bad either. It's just been some a mix of rough puck luck and uh, just some genuine rookie mistakes. Like I would be very sad if Logan Brown gets put down back to the minors because I think he's I think he deserves to be an NA, an NHL player and play a lot of minutes because he's been playing them. I think he's been playing them well besides the the rookie brain farts. Yeah, I totally agree. And obviously the big comparison with him is Colin White. And since Colin White came back from injury, really he has struggled to even put the puck in the net at all. Yeah. I think Colin White's, the lines he centered have been effective. It's just Colin White needs a bit of time to get things going again, right? Mm-hmm. And they've moved Colin White to the wing, and he was playing with Ennis and Tierney, who, uh, as you know, were on for two goals. So when he was on the ice, good things were happening. I know, but the thing about DJ Smith, and I don't understand why, and I was looking at some of the lines, even for tonight's game and the last couple of games, is that he's, he's even breaking up DeChuck and Duclair, and those two seemed very compatible with each other. Yeah, and it's kind of bizarre. We'll have to see if they get to come back together at some point, because, yeah... I think it's, a, but at the same time, it's probably just, you know, coaches like when things are kind of going a bit sideways, coaches like to pull out the blender. Unless you're Guy Boucher. Unless you're Guy Boucher. And the Sens have lost a few in a row now. So, yeah, it's about time for the blender to come out, I guess. True, but the thing is, is that these aren't like bad losses. These aren't losses in where the Sens have showed absolutely no effort. Like you see from what, even what Sens Twitter's talking about, like you watch the games and even since Twitter has commented, like that's something that they noticed too, is that even though they're, they're losing, they're losing competitively. They're not just rolling over and letting these teams kill them every night. Yeah, and it's fun hockey to watch. So, yeah, I guess I'd hope that DJ Smith has a bit more patience, but what are you going to do? Exactly. Speaking of Duclair and to Chuck Tim, I guess it's time to head into the third and final game of the evening because, boy, they had a big night. In this one, Sens versus Flyers. This is a 4-3 Flyers victory. Sens goes to score by Anthony DeClaire with two and the real American, Grady Chuck. Flyers goes to score by Travis Konecki, Shane Gottnesphere, Ivan Provoloff, and Scott Layton. Shots were 30-21 for Ottawa. Travis Konecki opens the scoring to make it 1-0 Flyers on a rebound. Grady Chuck ties the game at 1 in the slot. Shane Gottnesphere scores from the point to make it 2-1 Flyers. Duke ties the game at two after Hart leads it for his D-man and wraps it home. Ivan Provolov snipes it top shelf to make it 3-2 Flyers. Duke gets his second of the game to tie it at three. And Lawton scores for the Flyers to make it 4-3, which would be the final. So this was I, a veteran loss. So I had to condense watch this game uh, for undisclosed reasons, which I won't really go into. And obviously you and I have talked about it off air. Let's talk about a few things first of all. But 
I think the big thing that we got to, I got to talk about first and foremost, and I really hope you can let me take the reins on this one. So a few weeks ago, we made a bet with the Brotherly Plot. And the Brotherly Plot is hosted by Daniel Lesh, who is the founder of the National Podcast Network, the network that the Third Level Exoscast is on. And we had a bet going with him on Twitter, is that a few weeks ago we made a bet with him that if the Sens had beat the Flyers, that the guys of the Brotherly Pod had to say something nice about the Senators, and we would do vice versa if the Flyers beat the Sens. Well, the Flyers beat the Sens. And I am a man of my word, and I have to say some nice things about the Flyers, Tim. Yep, same here. Now, obviously, Mr. Daniel Esch was nice enough to have three nice things to say about the Ottawa Senators, excluding the first one. Seriously, fuck you, Gene Melnick. Now, let's talk about the three nice things about the Flyers. Number one, Gritty. Now, of course, I know that Gritty is a very polarizing mascot when it comes to the NHL, because honestly, when I first saw him... I really didn't know what to make of him. I didn't know if he looked like a big, hairy, orange jujube. I didn't know if he looked like Grimace from McDonald's and a meth bender. I'm not sure what exactly to make of him. But I will give the Flyers credit because, honestly, no other mascot looks like him. This is a really creative and outside-of-the-box mascot that, really, you got to give the Flyers credit for. I mean, obviously, as creative as a mascot would be if you combine the three magical elements of Super Glue, Crazy Eyes, and Claude Giroux's pubic hair. But it's also like the most Philadelphia thing ever. And you really got to give the marketing team credit for just this mascot that's basically taking the NHL by storm. Love him or hate him, I think Gritty is the most popular NHL mascot right now. For sure. Now, our number two nice thing we got to say about the Philadelphia Flyers. Now, of course, all joking aside, this is one that, for us being Ottawa Center fans, this is one that's very near and dear to our hearts. And I'm not going to joke about this one because he did end up passing away last summer. And the number two nice thing we have to say about the Philadelphia Flyers, they gave Ray Emery a second chance in the National Hockey League. Now, much like what the Philadelphia Eagles did for Michael Vick back in 2010 when he was released from jail and giving him a second chance in the NFL, and he made wonders with that chance, Ray Emery did the exact same thing with the Flyers. The Flyers took a chance on a guy who was extremely talented but troubled off the ice, or in Michael Vick's case, off the field, now, obviously, I understand there's a big difference between dog fighting, what Michael Vick got in trouble for, and what Ray Emery did off the ice. But you know what? The Philadelphia Flyers said, fuck all of that. We're going to give Ray Emery a second chance. And he took that, and he went on to become a Stanley Cup champion, while also denying Chris Pronger a second Stanley Cup. Oh, sorry. Hold on a second. Oh, <laughs> sorry, Tim. I, I messed up my notes here. Sorry, this is a nice thing I have to say about the Chicago Blackhawks, too. <laughs> My bad. Yeah, but like the big thing is, is the fact that Philly teams have all seem to always be willing to give players a second chance is just it's a super cool thing that the city of brotherly love does, and I think I'm very happy that they do that, and I hope they continue to do so. And now the third nice thing that we have to say about the Philadelphia Flyers. And this is one that, this hurts us being Ottawa Senators fans again. The Philadelphia Flyers were undefeated versus the Toronto Maple Leafs in the playoffs in the early 2000s. Now, unfortunately, the Ottawa Senators were winless against the Toronto Maple Leafs in the early 2000s, going 0-5. Or sorry, no, we went 0-4 with three straight seasons where we lost in the playoffs to them. But the one thing that Senator fans can always hang their hat on is the fact that the one team the Toronto Maple Leafs couldn't beat, much like the Boston Bruins today, was the Philadelphia Flyers, who they lost in back-to-back playoff series in 2003 and 2004. Now, you want to know why I'm adding this one on the list? Not just because the Philadelphia Flyers ended up becoming undefeated versus the Southern Ontario Ontario team, but because at that exact same time, Tim, they went winless against the Northern Ontario team in back-to-back playoff series. Is it fair to give a backhanded compliment? Well, yeah. But I mean, also, fuck the leaves. That's true. So, gentlemen, I hope you. I hope that made you happy. Because believe me, it killed me inside to have to say some nice things about the Philadelphia Flyers. And hey, maybe the next time the Sens play the Flyers, we can do this bet again, boys. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing some nice stuff about the Sens.
Okay, Tim, let's go on and talk about, as I declare, two goals on seven shots. I only got five words in my notes. Give this man his extension. Now. They can't. They can't. He's on a one-year contract, so they have to wait until January 1st. Why, why must life be on so unfair, Tim? I know, but Duclair had a very, Duclair had a very, very, very good game, and he was on the ice for that beautiful shorty as well. One thing I noted from the game was uh, this was if the rookies had more ice time, I think the Sens would have won because man, did Zeitz and Hainsy look bad. Ron Hainsey, of course, being on ice for all four goals against. While Shabbat has an apple, Gorbietsky and DeMello were only on the ice for goals four. And Golbuff played 12 clean minutes. So this was a game where I think the veterans kind of lost it for them. Another oddity is that Paul Davidson was up, but he was pretty much stapled to the bench. Uh, Craig Anderson went down with an injury, I think, on the second goal. And uh, he's on the IR, so we'll get to see more of Hogberg, who, in limited ice, we've seen him so far. He's played very well. He actually played very, very well against the Canucks in the first game and against the Flames in Calgary. So, Tim, I think we should go on and talk about one player. And one player in particular, the real American, Mr. Brady Chuchuk. One goal on six shots. I think it's safe to say that he is officially in the Flyers' head after this game. Yeah. And I think you're specifically referring to a specific play at the end of the game that we already kind of lampshaded. So I think we should just not waste any more time... Let's talk about the Brady to Chuck and Scott Layton incident. Now, how this all started about is that, as we said in the recap, Layton, or Lott, I guess it's Scott Lawton, chirped the Ottawa bench after he put the Flyers up, knowing he would have to answer for it. Brady to Chuck gave him a quick cross check, which Lawton immediately dropped. And the thing I, I went back and watched is like, he doesn't even try, doesn't even try to protect himself, knowing that Brady to Chuck is going to come after him now, now that he's on his knees. Now, the one thing that I was looking at a lot of the Flyers Twitter because, and I run the Third Line Plug Twitter page, and it's loaded with the Flyers podcast from the National Podcast Network. And the one thing they noticed is that, wow, Flyers Twitter was so butthurt about this. And the thing that, and I had a nice conversation with uh, Flyers Podcast Pod Street, is that, and they we had a nice conversation on Twitter about it is that, honestly, Brady Tuchuk could have done so much worse to him. But the only problem I have with this, and I know you and I absolutely agree on this, he shouldn't have done it because Ottawa had a chance to tie the game up in that final second. Yeah, and I think like if it was just the cross-check, I doubt he gets the penalty. What I have the issue with is that him following, following uh, Lawton to the ice and just pummeling him. Like... I get that if guys chirping your bench, they have to answer for it. I get that. If the guy's going to try and chirp you, make it cost something. And it's good to see the players that you expect to stand up for the team, stand up for the team. But I really didn't like the fact that he was pummeling a guy in the fetal position. No, I mean, and obviously I'm surprised he didn't get any any games for that. But the one thing that I will comment is that, going back to what Flyers Twitter was talking about is that I love how they got so butthurt about Brady to Chuck doing this, and yet they act like stuff like this has never happened between our two teams. Obviously, they had the big fight in 2004, but the one incident that I brought up on Twitter was, oh, okay, so you're getting butthurt about this, but you saw no problem when, when Steve Downey fucking ended Dean McCammon's career by cross-checking him in the face during the preseason about 10 years ago. Yeah. You have to wonder how many people were really hockey fans at that point just because they weren't really old enough to be watching at that level. But at the same time, it's funny because I, I have a feeling this could end up being a Claude Lemieux moment. 
I don't really think so because obviously there's a big difference between what Claude Lemieux did and what Brady Chuck did. Claude Lemieux. No, no, no. I mean uh, when Claude Lemieux was getting pummeled. Oh, okay. Sorry, I thought you were referring to when Claude Lemieux hit Chris Draper from behind. You know, this I don't really see it that way because obviously the Sens and the Flyers don't really have much of a rivalry. And where the Claude Lemieux incident that you're referring to, they already had all that tension building up, building up, and building up over the year that finally it overflowed and the two teams went at it. Uh-huh. Although there's just something visceral about seeing someone who's willing to agitate and then absolutely won't defend themselves. Yeah, and that was, like, and like I said, that was the problem I had when I went back and watched the clip, is that Lawton, as soon as he dropped, he doesn't even get his hands up, he doesn't turn around to try and scrap with him, he just lets it happen. And honestly, I'm watching that, I'm like, I, I'm not trying to play the devil's advocate saying, oh, Brady was in the right, because he wasn't in the right to pummel him while he was in the fetal position, but... Again, it's human fucking nature to protect yourself when something like this happens. Why didn't you get your hands up and try and protect you at that point, knowing that Brady was going to come at you? Yeah, and it's interesting because, like, I think uh, the Flyers, like, Ivan Provorov was doing more to defend him than he was. And uh, then you have Duclair in the background just throwing ham hocks at uh, Provorov. I know. Actually, can I make one comment about Anthony Duclair? Is that I know that I noticed that he's been wearing warrior gloves, and I have to say I own a pair of warrior gloves. Fantastic hockey gloves, by the way. I highly recommend them. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Uh, one That's good. one comment that I'm surprised neither culture. of you. But here's the thing: one comment neither of us have brought up, the Nick Paul fight. That uppercut, though. That was scary. I didn't know he can actually do that. Jesus Christ, man. Yeah. And what's kind of interesting, though, is other than that fight, I actually thought this was a weaker game for Nick Paul than usual. And he kind of got stapled to the bench for a bit, too. He had less than 10 minutes of ice time, which is pretty rare for him. So, Tim, I don't have any more notes to make of this game if you just want to head on to the close for the another night. Actually, there's one shout-out I forgot on top of the hour, and... Uh, Last week, the NHL.com app got a new feature called Gameflow, where it tracks a kind of a smooth model of shots to give you an idea how the game was going minute by minute. Now, this might sound familiar to some advanced stats people because it is very similar, if not identical, to the Gameflow metric that Blake McCurdy uses on HockeyBiz.com. And he helped NHL.com set it up. So, shout out to Blake McCurdy. Solid. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network. We can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We can find us on Twitter at Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901HoneyBadger, and I'm at GreatWhiteGipster, G-R-8-W-I-T-E, Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the games, top of the hour, or you want to get into a discussion about the Brady Jack Scott Lawton incident, shoot us an email, thirdlineplugsensecast at gmail.com. So, Tim, we've got three games to talk about for next week's episode, our Christmas episode. We've got tonight's game versus the Boston Bruins. Wednesday, we're in Montreal to play La Canadien. And Saturday night, we are at home to play the Columbus Blue Jackets. It's going to be interesting because those are, like, the Blue Jackets. That has to be a team that must be playing with some sort of urgency, that needs to have some urgency if they don't want to be just known as the team that lost all their good players. That isn't Canadian. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just a quick update on tonight's game. The Ottawa Senators won 5-2. to two. Anthony DeClaire had two goals and an assist. And J.G. Pajot also continues his goal streak. Until that man cool down. I don't think so, Tim. Unless we trade him and get a first pick out of him. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows, man? Play harder. True. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jetson. Go Sands, guys.